This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by the Task Delegator, a new tool to help you automate, delegate, and eliminate tasks so you can achieve the double win. Download it for free at lead2.win/delegator. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. Today we're going to be talking about a topic that I think a lot of people experience in their organizations, particularly if you're a leader or a business owner, but we don't really talk about it. And I'm concerned about the way that we frame it. And I want to talk about handling dissent and disagreement in your organization. So Megan, when you think about dissent or disagreement, yeah. how does that make you feel? What do you, what do you think about that? Um, the first thing I thought of when you just said that was necessary evil. <laughs> That's the first thing that came to my mind. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of kidding. Um, but seriously, though, I mean, it, it can be a real challenge as a leader to deal with this. And I hope I'm never without the challenge of it because the alternative is to basically be flying blind in the world. And that feels like a very dangerous prospect. Yes, I think that's right. So I'm going to tell a quick story and I've changed some of the particulars just to protect the identity of the people that were involved because we would never want to betray a confidence, but the principles are still the same. So last week I was on the phone with one of our coaching clients and she runs a nonprofit in Northern California and she and her board had made the decision that they were going to move that organization out of California for a variety of reasons. I mean, it was everything from, you know, the fires that they had experienced to the cost of labor to, you know, what she considered to be kind of onerous lockdowns in the state. I mean, just income taxes was a whole list of things. Mm -hmm. So she had made a proposal to her board, very compelling proposal of a vision for moving that organization to another state. She got buy-in. Everybody was pretty enthusiastic, although their organization had been in the state for about 20 years, uh, with the exception of one board member who dissented. So in other words, it was a unanimous vote to move the organization to another state with the exception of this one person. So she didn't think too much about it. You know, she thought, you know, it was still an overwhelming majority. You know, she had like 20 people, large board, big, mm -hmm. big board, about 19 people had voted for it. One person had voted against, you know, in large organizations, particularly large nonprofits, that's a, that's a pretty good sign. Until she had an executive committee meeting about a month later. And the person who dissented was part of the executive committee. So she was giving the executive committee, as she was telling it to me, giving the executive committee an update on where things stood because she had made some progress on the move since the board meeting. Well, this dissenting member spoke up and he said, I'm sorry, but I, I, I just have to object. I'm not sure what I need to do. He said, I voted against this. I have good reasons, but nobody from this board, not the CEO, not any of my fellow board members have called me to find out why I opposed this and why I, have, why I stood against it. And I feel strongly about this and I'm incredibly frustrated. And, and then he went on to say that I'm not sure if I should resign from the board or what. I just don't know where to go with this. So she decided, because it was at the end of this executive committee meeting, and this was pretty explosive and she could tell there was a lot of emotion. So she said, let's just talk about, about it offline. But she said to me then privately, and she had not had the conversation with him yet. 
She said, you know, I find myself just really resenting this guy. You know, I don't know why he can't get on board. And, and so I said to her, I said, let me ask you a question. I just want to kind of back up. How do you view dissent? I mean, kind of in general, what's your basic posture toward dissent? She said, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever thought about it. I think she, she didn't have the same view you have, Megan. She didn't see it as a necessary evil. She just said, I just, I think it's kind of something you got to crush. Mm. Well, I think- Wow, that's a word for it. I think that that's pretty much most leaders I know, unless they've got a lot of maturity, that's how they view dissent. It's an obstacle to crush something to work around. You know, it's it's the opposition. And, it's, and if you're not careful, not only do you frame this as a problem that you want to make go away, but you got to get rid of the people that are voicing the dissent. Yeah. They're a problem. Now, what I want to argue in this episode is that dissent is a gift. And, and here's why. As a leader, you can't know everything. And there is nothing worse than an overly confident leader. Pride so goes before a fall, right? You can't possibly know everything. You can't possibly see everything. What if that person who is dissenting has something, they see something that for whatever reason you missed, that if you were to pursue your current course of action, you would fall headlong into something that would damage or destroy your organization. And, and that person that's dissenting, and again, this is a different way to frame it, but is taking the courageous step because it's never easy to dissent, right? I mean, unless you're just born disagreeable. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to find the courage to disagree with the leader and especially to be sort of the odd person out with your peers. So I think, I think as leaders, we've got to somehow find a place of respect, right? Where we can respect that person and what it's cost them to come forth with, with that dissenting opinion. Dad, I agree with you, but I feel like you are painting this with really shiny paint and making it look glossier <laughs> and prettier than it actually feels in real life. Because in principle, absolutely, right? In principle, unless you're a narcissist, you can probably see the validity of this argument, right? I mean, like we can acknowledge it feels hard, but we need it in our life, even if it's not happening as part of your culture. However, sometimes this can go sideways. Sometimes we can even make it go sideways uh, in how it gets handled. So I thought I would tell a story myself. So when I was on um, maternity leave, when Naomi was born, I had an extended maternity leave, actually, because uh, of her special needs. And our chief sales officer, Chad Cannon, uh, was in charge of a handful of things that I was normally in charge of in my absence. And and one of the things that he was overseeing at that point uh, was marketing in addition to sales. And he came up with this really cool new strategy uh, pre-COVID to have our team speaking on stages uh, you know, like live stages, promoting products and things like that. It was awesome. Except I didn't think it was awesome when I came back. I thought we didn't have the bandwidth to do it. I had a handful of objections. And instead of dissenting from him, and this is a little bit of like reversal because I'm his boss, but instead of doing that privately and just say, hey, I have a couple of concerns, I did it publicly. And I did it publicly in a way that undermined his leadership. I didn't back his leadership. I mean, this is like leadership fail 101. 
I mean, I'm, I'm face palming right now. You guys can't see me, but I'm doing it because this is one of the biggest fails that you can make when you're dissenting. There are, there's a right way to do this and there's a wrong way to do this. And I did it in all the wrong ways. And I had to go back around and, and apologize to him. I had to rebuild some trust because, you know, if, if you've ever had the experience of your boss publicly undermining you in front of your peers, uh, that's a real hard thing to come back from. And to his credit, he did he did a great job of it. He was super gracious, as he always is. But it was a major fail on my part. And uh, I think one of the things to take away from this, sort of the realistic view of this, is that if you dissent publicly in a scenario where um, that could be humiliating for someone or that could undermine their their leadership or their credibility or their position in some way, it can really go sideways fast. And that's what I did in my situation with Chad. And had I have gone to him privately, you know, we might have discovered that I was right or maybe I would have come around to his position, which is ultimately where we ended up. But we'll never know because in a way, I blew it up before we even started. Well, I think I think there's two things here. There's like parallel tracks. So there's a message to the person who's trying to lead, but they've got a dissenter yes. on their team. So right. that that's that's one message. Yep. And then there's a message to the person who doesn't agree with the direction of the organization. How can they dissent in a way that's respectful and right. helpful Where and has productive. the best chance of being heard? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So let's let's talk about the first one first and then we'll come back to the second one because Yeah. That you know, it takes two to, to tango, and and both of these are important. And for a healthy culture, we have to learn to sort of welcome dissent and use it to our benefit. Right. But on the other hand, we've got to teach people how to dissent in a way that gives them the best chance of being heard and keeps them from being branded as sort of a, a disagreeable, you know, negative person that that just right. can't get on board. Okay. Right. So let's talk about you as the leader. So the thing I want to say to you as the leader, and Megan, you again be the proxy because if this is is too Pollyanna, then tell me. <laughs> I'll tell you. I will but, dissent. But I think it, it takes an enormous amount of self awareness to do this, because I, I'm in these meetings when I've got somebody dissenting, then I'm just like anybody else. I might get defensive. I mm. might, you know, try to resort, and this is the worst, resort to power. Yeah. Rather Ooh. than influence, yep. and just say, you know. It's my way or the highway, or I make I'm making a decision, and you guys need to buck up. I don't think I'd ever say that, but but I could certainly imply that. Mm-hmm. And and you can feel that in a leader when they're resorting to pure power and they really don't have an argument. Yeah. Right. So I th- I think as a leader, what you've got to do is you've got to lean into it. You've got to talk less and listen more, and yep. you've got to ask questions. Yeah. And and by the way, this is what. The lady who ran the nonprofit did. She did end up, and she reported back after she had the call. She had the call with the dissenting board member, and all she did was listen, ask questions, and take notes. Now I want you to listen to me, because this is this is so helpful. What happened was it diffused the anger, because the person who was the dissenter felt like for the first time he was being heard, and she had enough self-awareness as a leader to not only ask the question, but to ask the second question and to repeat to him what she heard him saying so that he knew she got it. Man, that 
that is kind of a masterclass in how to do this. You know, I've had so many of these meetings. Fortunately, I am blessed with direct reports and an executive team who dissent on the regular. You know, they're not <laughs> afraid to tell me that they don't agree, which I've come to be very grateful for. However, I know how you feel, I, by the way. <laughs> bet you do. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that I have noticed is even after all this time, I still have to have a little conversation in my head. I still, when someone yes. disagrees with me in a meeting or, you know, in a conversation, I feel it in my body. I'm putting my hand right now, like right on my collarbone. And that's where I feel it in my body. I get tight, kind of like angry and afraid at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's the emotion that I feel. It gets kind of tight and I sort of like feel my face get hot and and I think partly because I feel maybe a little embarrassed, you know, maybe kind of called out. And I have to use that consciously as the trigger for the conversation in my head, was just which just says something like, take a breath, slow it down, just listen to what they have to say. You're not threatened. You're fine. They're fine. They're actually here to help, you know? And like sometimes I have to really repeat that in my head multiple times and try to breathe and not have my face match what's happening in my body because that would yes. be that would be really discouraging to people. They would they would know right now, like she doesn't like this. And the truth is, I don't like it when people dissent. I need it, but I don't like it. And so I have to try to make my body and my body language look different than how I feel while my body is catching up with what I know I want, which is to be open, to be you know soft to that, all those things. Well, what you just said shows extraordinary emotional intelligence. Well, because it's hard most one. people, yeah, well, it's, yeah, I mean, we've all had to learn it. And if you don't learn it, you're kind of destined to repeat it. And you go through a lot of people. Yes. Because people that are strong leaders, people that are creative, people that are brilliant problem solvers are going to dissent. Right. Right. You do not want a cabinet full, you know, to put it sort of the in the government kind of language, you don't want a cabinet full of people that just agree with everything you say. Right. That's like the worst thing you could have happen. We all know that. We say it theoretically. But practically, it's kind of what we want. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want people to go along and, and agree with me and, you know, pat me on the back and think how wonderful right. I am and just just implement my ideas. Except that, honestly, and I'm, and I'm saying this not with a sense of false humility, but I think I've got a pretty good track record, but I think probably half my ideas are crap. <laughs> right? And, and maybe more. And if somebody didn't call me out on that or challenge that, and if we implemented all that stuff, our company would be broke. So you can't resent it. You've got to welcome it. And and the other thing is, I think that when people feel heard and they go through that process, after a few minutes, then everybody gets on the same side of the table and it's just a problem to solve. And in this particular case, the story I told about the woman leading the nonprofit, she had a vision. She did what we talk, what I talk about in my book, The Vision Driven Leader. She had a vision script. So that wasn't the problem. But what she was experiencing was sort of the next step, which is alignment around the vision. And if you're not getting alignment around the vision, first of all, the first thing to ask yourself, have I made clear the vision? Mm-hmm. In other words, is it written down? Have I made it clear? And the reason there's disalignment is there's not shared vision. So this is an opportunity to see those places where there's not shared vision, where you need additional clarity. And that's all it is. 
And look, I know it gets invested with all kinds of emotion, but if you can take a step backward and go, no, this is going to make this better because if we can fold in that board member's perspective, mm -hmm. then it's going to be a better decision. Doesn't mean, by the way, that you ultimately agree with them or cower to That's them. That's right. It just means that you're willing to hear it, you're willing to answer it, you're willing to speak to it, honor it, really. And I think that's that's what it takes ultimately to move from that descent to a place of alignment. You're not going to get there by force. You can't get to alignment by brute force. Well, the other thing I would say too that's important here is a concept that I I learned from Eileen Meething, who's coached me and coached you at Gap International, and that is the distinction between agreement and alignment. Mm -hmm. Agreement, it's great if you can get it, but it's not a prerequisite for alignment. If you have strong relationships, if you hear people out, if they have a chance to speak their mind, generally speaking, and I've got a 100% track record on this, they will align with you even if they don't agree with the decision. So they can say, okay, that's not the decision I would make, but look, I've given my best arguments. You've listened to me carefully. It's clear you understand it. Yes, I will align. And sometimes I've had to ask people that. You know, I've had to say, look, I get that you don't agree with this decision. Do you feel like you've been heard? Yes. Do you feel like I understand your argument? Yes. Are you willing to align with this decision, even though it's not the decision you would make? Yes. And what that looks like is that when we go out to execute, there's no hesitation. They're not tentative. They've got my back. Okay. But it doesn't happen just by muscling it through. You know, I can't just like demand, you know, as, as the CEO of the company, thankfully I'm not the CEO anymore. You are, but demand, I just can't just say, Hey, I'm the CEO of the company. I demand alignment. No, alignment is something that has to be created and it's best when you don't have to resort to power to do it. Okay. Let's talk about the other side of it. And that is the counsel you'd give to the person who is dissenting because there's a right way and a wrong way uh, to go yeah. about this. So Megan, why don't you take the lead here? Yeah. Well, I've seen this done really well and I've seen it not done really well. And uh, the people that didn't do it really well aren't here anymore. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just totally Sort of. Kidding. Sort of. Um, no, but seriously, there, there are ways to do this that are effective and professional and there are ways that are going to ultimately undermine your cause. And so a couple of things. Um, I think if you have the opportunity to dissent in private, first of all, that is a great way to do it. So if you're if you disagree with what your boss, a decision your boss is making or is considering, or um, someone that you know you have that relationship with, if you're able to talk with them about it privately, you're not going to activate that same physical emotional response that I talked about earlier. You know, where your boss is trying to kind of talk themselves off the ledge for a minute so they can really hear what you have to say because they're not publicly embarrassed. They don't feel threatened, uh, hopefully, you know, um, but they're they're really in a, an easier place of listening. So the threshold to be heard is lower in that situation. Now, sometimes that's not possible, right? Sometimes you are in a meeting, the time to speak is now, or it's in a public channel uh, in, you know, Slack or an email thread or something like that, where, where you have to say what needs to be said in front of someone else. Or the, the leader is invited debate right. and dissent. Exactly. Or you've created a culture, like in our culture, like I'm never surprised when somebody pushes back at me, no. at me in public, and I right. never take it personal. You know, and you, you mentioned Chad earlier, and, and if he's listening to this, you can get a good laugh out of it. But I always expect Chad to push back. Right. But, and part of that is that I think 
that's the way Chad processes. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of wants to find out what you're made of and how much you believe your argument. So he right. pushes back on that. And I, I frankly, I love that. And you, I've tried to get you to do that to me. I, I love a good I know, argument. You always want to fight on this podcast. <laughs> I think that story about Chad or that example of Chad is a great one because I think what it, it speaks to is as you're thinking about how to dissent in a way that's going to be helpful, you need to consider the relationship you have. So if you have a super high trust, close relationship with someone, you have a lot more latitude. You could probably totally. do it publicly. You could probably do it maybe even a little sarcastically sometimes um, or uh, just in a way that's less formal, you know, without so much respect kind of baked in. And it would be fine. The relationship can handle that's kind of the relationship that you have. However, if let's say you're in a, a leadership team meeting or you're in an in a all company meeting and you're like five levels down from the CEO and you don't have a relationship with that person and you publicly put your hand up and you're sarcastic or you're flippant or, you know, dishonoring in some way, that's not going to go well. No. Now, now you've created an us versus them kind of moment and the person's dignity and the reputation is on the line. And you want to avoid that. One of the things that most leaders don't like is being publicly embarrassed. So you've got to find a way to dissent in a way that doesn't embarrass. And one of the things that you can do is you can honor the intention. You could say something like, uh, you know, so-and-so, I can really see the validity of this path that you're suggesting. I wondered if you would be willing to consider, though, that this other thing might be worth looking at because I think it could be a real problem. We haven't looked maybe as deeply as we could at it. What do you think? So you're coming from a place of humility of like, hey, I'm for you and I'm not sure you see this. And so because I'm for you and I'm for this company, I want to risk saying something that's vulnerable, but I want to do it in a way that's honoring and is in a way that's not about me versus you or me trying to like catch you doing something wrong and so I can embarrass you publicly. That's really good. And I think that that what you didn't say, but what you're demonstrating is that you're you're basically trying to understand what the boss wants, right? But you're showing him an alternative strategy for getting it, right? But but this is but this is how you sell anybody on anything, and that is help them get what they want. Mm-hmm. If I can help you get what you want and avoid the pitfalls, right? right. So I'm I'm gonna I, I I don't want you to step in it, so to speak. I don't want you to make a misstep, and. Risk yourself, risk your reputation, risk the organization. That's, but, but I think what you said, Megan, was so powerful. I want them to know that I'm for them. Yeah. I might even be for the destination. It's just that I see a problem with how you, you're proposing that we get there. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to look out for you because that's what you right. pay me to do. Well, and here's the thing. You can say almost anything to someone if they know you're for them and yes. you care about them. If you're, if you're always thinking about how do I do this with honor and dignity, then you can say hard things to people. And I'm not advocating people kind of cutting corners on the truth and not saying what needs to be said because we are living in a time when a lot of hard things need to be said to a lot of people, especially leaders, you know, and that's okay. It's okay to say hard things. It's okay to be direct, but you can do it in a way that has honor and preserves the dignity of the other person. Not only is that just morally the right way to handle it, it also results in far more uh, productive conversations and movement in the direction potentially of what you're bringing up than if you just like tick everybody off 
by dehumanizing them publicly. This is why social media doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like the worst example of this because people, you know, it's called social media, but there's hardly anything social about it. You're not in relationship with most of these people. And that's why people can drive by, say whatever they want, and just sort of fade back under a cloak of anonymity. And, and you can't do that in real life, right? Because we have relationships with these people. And so don't let social media or what you see on TV sort of be your guide and inadvertently or unconsciously try to replicate that. You know, that you're going to, you know, you're going to speak truth to power. Mm-hmm. You know, you can speak truth and be respectful. Right. It's very possible. And don't kid yourself that if you're going to do it in writing, that gives you more latitude. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if you stand up in an all-hands meeting or at an executive team meeting or if you write a letter to the CEO of your company or to the board or something else. It doesn't matter. However you do it, it's got to be with honor and preserving people's dignity. And again, you can say almost anything if you do that. Um, But we have lost that as a culture, as a standard, and it's really sad to see what's happening because of it. I I just want to say, and this is probably too big of a statement, too much of a blanket statement, but I would say that usually when you resort to writing rather than speaking face-to-face, it's because of fear. Mm-hmm. You're being a chicken. Mm-hmm. If you can't walk into the person's office or call them on the phone and have that conversation, you, you need to do some self-assessment because there's something about putting in black and white that makes it irretractable once you've launched it. And, it, and it's subject to their interpretation, to the mood they're in when they read it. You can't read the room or try to assess where they're at. You miss all the nuance. And particularly, it's, it's really challenging in this pandemic world of Zoom. Yeah. Because you can miss the emotion, you know, because all you're seeing is you're getting the sound and you're getting the sight. And even that's two-dimensional. Yep. So I think we've got to be, got to be really cautious in this environment. Still do it. But just be aware of the limitations of the environment that we find ourselves in today. One thing I will say is if you're in a large organization, you don't have a relationship maybe with the leaders at the top of the organization, and that's you know where you feel that the dissent is needed, sometimes the power differential is big enough that you either can't access those people or you don't have a relationship with them or in writing might be the best. So I don't think it's never um, that writing can't That's be fair. okay. I think we have to be conscious that, you know, some organizations that, that may be your only outlet or your best outlet, but if there's any chance and if you can kind of, uh, you know, gin up the courage to do it, even if the, the CEO or the boss doesn't know you, if you can go and sit down with that person, I'm going to tell you that their respect for you, if, if they're a good leader at all, their respect for you will go exponentially up because they know it took courage to come and have that conversation. You know, one of the things I would say, Megan, too, is that if you are if you do have to resort to writing and if you're communicating with a level of leadership above the level to which you report, mm-hmm. don't blindside your supervisor. The last thing yeah, you want gosh, so true. is for his or her boss to call him or her in and say, well, I got this little nasty gram from this person that reports to you. You know, that's not going to go well. No. Before you launch out and dissent, uh, we just want to encourage you. This is just a broad disclaimer. There's all kinds of cultures out there in companies. And you have to be able to kind of read the room and know how much dissent the organization you're part of can metabolize without getting indigestion. 
So we would just encourage you to, to move the ball forward. And certainly if you're a leader, you've got to create an environment that's safe for dissent. Because again, I want to say dissent is a gift. But if you're the dissenter, then you've got to be aware of the environment you're in, maybe push it a little bit, but we don't want you to get yourself fired. That's important to say. By the way, just a thought as you were talking, the way you create a culture where people feel free to dissent is you put that distance between the stimulus and the response, that physical, emotional reaction that you have and how you treat people. You know, if people feel punished on the other side of dissenting, if they get shut out of things, if they get, you know, kind of passive aggressively targeted in some way, that's not going to continue to happen. This is not one of those things that you can so much teach a show. I mean, you can teach it, but I think it only matters to the extent that you live it out um, and you encourage it with your behavior as the leader, because however you respond, particularly non-verbally, is whatever people will think is the standard, right? That's right. So if they think you, um, you know, you didn't like that, that you got mad, there may be create a story about that. Uh, that's going to be a problem. So you need to publicly praise people when they do it, when they do it well, and really make space for it. And people will test you in the small things before mm-hmm. they get to the big things. And where you really need the dissent is in the big things where there's a lot at stake. Yeah. But don't be surprised if you're in an organization where this hasn't been the norm that they test you in the little things. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I hate this as a leader, but you're always on. You're always modeling. People are all always creating a story based on your behavior. So make sure it's a good one. Okay. Well, Meg, thanks for this conversation. I love talking about dissent and disagreement. Guys, thank you for listening. I hope this has been helpful, but until next week, lead to win. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by the Task Delegator, a new tool to help you automate, delegate, and eliminate tasks so you can achieve the double win. Download it for free at leadto.win slash delegator.